to hear these words, this retelling of Jesus's triumph and return to Jerusalem. From John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. And I am again reading from the Common English Bible Translation. But as I say every week, I encourage you to follow along or to hear this in the biblical language that connects you with God the best. So once again, let us hear from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him. They shouted, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. After he was glorified, though, they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done those things to him. Now the crowd who had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were testifying about Jesus. And that is why the crowd came to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign that he had done of raising Lazarus from the dead. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees looked at each other and said, See, we've accomplished nothing. Look, the whole world is following him. Thus ends our reading. These are the words of God for all who would hear them. Thanks be to God. Look, the whole world is following him. This is a moment of glorious celebration. It's Palm Sunday, and you can feel the excitement in these few short lines. Christ has finally arrived in Jerusalem, the place that he set his face toward upon emerging from the wilderness. Jerusalem, full of people for the Passover feast, that is the festival that they speak of in the scriptures. Christ has finally arrived in the city of the prophets and the prophecies, Jerusalem, the holiest of holy places, where Christ enters in the gates, recognized as the Messiah, entering triumphantly amid the cheers and songs of his people, and during Passover. This is where we too begin our Holy Week, in Jerusalem, with this amazing display of welcome. But it is also Jerusalem a city occupied by the Romans. It's a city that has a tentative peace between the Jewish people and the Roman Empire, a peace that is dependent on the people behaving themselves 
and not causing trouble for the foreigners who have claimed their land as Rome's. Like so much of what we read in the texts, like so much of what we have talked about these last weeks of Lent, there is this tension that is held between celebration, the celebration of the people, and condemnation of the religious leaders and the legal scholars of the day. Much like the tension we've been exploring by taking the I am statements of Jesus and then unpacking the harm that these texts have been used to perpetuate against folks while still recognizing and discovering the life-giving messages held within them. It is a tension that we also have been invited to sit in today. It is the tension of reframing and looking at things a little differently. And sometimes that reframing can surprise us by creating even more tension than perhaps we're comfortable with. And then we have to push through that to find the wisdom. And this moment in Jerusalem is full of tension indeed. The heightened awareness, the heightened tension in the city would be palpable. Imagine yourselves in this place, a small walled city filled, packed with people who are ready to celebrate Passover. It's not so hard to imagine what this must have been like. Because, in fact, when I was preparing for today, my mind was brought back to last spring and last summer when there was the tension of the dual pandemics that we were suffering, both COVID as well as racism. When the news broke of the senseless deaths of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmed Aubrey, and more whose names we do not know, that tension was in the air and we could feel it. Now, at the time, the religious leaders and the legal experts were unable to handle how folks were reacting to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. They were unable to see any triumph or any good in what was happening. They were beside themselves with all the ways that there were attempts to discredit Jesus or convince the people he was not a prophet or sent by God had failed so miserably. They couldn't understand how no matter how hard they tried to force people to simmer down or prove that Jesus was a fraud, it still seemed like the whole world is following him. And looking at it from the distance of thousands of years, through our comfortable Christian viewpoints, their reactions seem unreasonable. Why are they so upset? This is supposed to be a time of celebration. Why can't they see that he has come to liberate them, to bring life and proof that all people deserve to have their sacred worth recognized? Why is this a problem? Seems like wild times, but we are living through something similar even today. The tough thing is that our traditions have taught us that those who objected to Jesus' messages, the ones referred to as the Pharisees in our texts, 
The ones who objected to his very existence are the ones who are responsible for, their, for his death. It's a teaching that has caused untold harm to the people of the Jewish faith throughout time. Y'all knew I was going there today. We're not out of Lent yet. And it's important to recognize the harm that has been done to these communities. These are teachings that have justified programs to eliminate a whole identity. These are teachings that have justified world wars, extermination attempts, holocausts. And it's time that we recognize the tension that the Pharisees must have been feeling, much like the tension that we feel today. What am I talking about? Why was there a tension? Well, we have to remember that nothing in life ever occurs in a vacuum. Amen? Amen. And I think that all of our history teachers would agree to that, that nothing occurs alone in and of itself. So let's take a look at what's happening historically during this time in Christ's ministry and life. The Romans, big E empire as I often refer to it, the Romans are the latest in a long line of occupiers and colonizers. Jerusalem is full of people for Passover. They've come from all over the world to be a part of this time together. And the Romans, in the not-too-distant past, have dealt with a number of religious zealots. In this particular case, probably within the last 30 years, within recent memory. They have dealt with a number of religious zealots who have called themselves the Messiah and have incited riots with their message against the empire. And so the Romans' answer to that was crucifixion, blanket crucifixion, crucifying 30, 50, 60 more people at a time. It's their go-to punishment, the most debasing means of death for insurgents and anyone they do not consider respectable or worthy of a respectable death. In fact, things often get so bad during the holidays in Jerusalem, not just this season, but in seasons past, that Rome has placed soldiers in residence in the temple square. Imagine that that the religious leaders have to go to the foreign military to be given permission to use their ceremonial robes and items to celebrate this most holy of days. That all of the relics, all of the altar cloths, all of the oils are held in a tower in the square And the priests must go and ask if they can have their things to prepare for their religious services. 
And now imagine what that must have been like to ask your occupiers for permission to use the items that you need to celebrate your people's deliverance from slavery at the hands of a foreign empire. Can you feel the tension that these religious leaders must have been feeling? How do we keep our people safe? How do we keep our people safe? Because the Pharisees, the religious and legal scholars, were the liaison. They were the bridge between the empire and the people. They were the first line of defense to keep their people safe. They were the ones who had to wheel and deal to make a tentative peace. And here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus and his crowd of followers. Jesus has been coming for weeks. And the Pharisees know that this spells disaster. And so they have been doing everything that they can to slow Jesus' roll. And here he comes. He comes with a parade. Now, Rome is a military power. And Jesus enters the main gates with loud, rowdy people who take palms and lay them at his feet as they would royalty, as they would a military hero. They are using songs of liberation. They are praising him with politically charged language, master, king, Savior, the one who comes in God's name, these are all the same things that would have been said about Caesar entering into the gates. This is not good. The Pharisees are able to read the writing on the wall. They know the danger that this holds for their people, for their way of life, and for their very identity as Jews. And so in fear... They run out, and in some of our scriptures, in some of our gospels, even beg Jesus to make the people behave. Why can't they be respectable? Why can't they just calm down? Don't attract attention, because if the Romans catch wind of this, they're going to roll right over us. And Christ, who knew what he was doing, by the way, says, I can't. In Luke's gospel, Christ says to them, I can't stop this. Even if I told them to stop, the very ground we walk would still make noise. The very stones would cry out. And in this moment, in the gospel of John, what is happening with Jesus' entry into the city, is that important. It is important because the truth, no matter how hard we try to bury it or encourage people to remain silent, the truth will always get out, no matter how hard we try. And the truth in John's gospel is that Jesus has come 
to liberate us. That Jesus is God in flesh, walking alongside us and teaching us how to live fully in relationship with each other and with God. And yes, it seems that the whole world is following this Jesus character. As the Pharisees say, look at all the people. The thing is, is that this message of wholeness and liberation brought fear into the hearts of those who were trying to keep people safe. And so fear is what brought the leaders to ask Christ to stop. And fear, I believe, is what brought them to do what they felt they needed to do next, which was to set everything in motion for the next few days leading up to Good Friday. That was why there was such a turn in just three days' time to go from celebrating with hosannas to crying, crucify him. This is a Lenten moment for the religious leaders in Jerusalem, a moment of intense tension and fear. Knowing what could happen and has happened in the past when the empire has been challenged, that was keeping them from being able to celebrate with the rest. It was keeping them from speaking the truth. Fear and tension, in fact, have been leading them throughout this entire story as they follow Jesus along his route, as he announces who he is in his I am statements, and they continue to challenge him, to discredit him. Fear and tension has kept them from sharing the love of God and the news that we are all already loved deeply. It's fear that keeps us from accepting that love and freedom for ourselves and to share that news with others. That is the tension that they were experiencing, and I think for many of us, it is the tension we still experience today. Truly, we are seeing the same type of thing play out in our own time. When so many of us, and yes, I am calling us all out as Christians today, don't want to make waves. We don't want to cause tension. And so that fear of making things uncomfortable means that we refuse to call out what's wrong in the world. But if we are taking our call as Christians seriously... That call to be reflections of Jesus' light for the nations in the world today, then shaking things up in the name of mercy and justice and love are exactly what we are meant to do. As this week unfolds, we read about Jesus' boldness in the face of evil and injustice and how it grows. He sees what is transpiring in Jerusalem, and he boldly acts. He calls out the hypocrisy of the temple leaders who bring a message of love and equity and do it under the shadow of oppression and societal gatekeeping. Jesus is mad 
He is turning over tables. He is raising his voice. He is making people uncomfortable, and he is doing it knowing full well that this is not going to end well for him and perhaps for the people. He is doing it though his body is threatened because that message of our worthiness in the eyes of God is so important that he cannot let it go. But the fear and the tension that is present in the places he will visit and the paths he will walk will not keep him from bringing this message. And beloveds, it should not keep us from bringing the message as well. The message of a promise of something better than this world, than Rome or the empires of our own making could ever offer us. A promise of wholeness. One that is not predicated on earthly expectations of checking off the boxes, of making sure we meet society's determination of who is worthy and who is not, but a promise that is possible through accepting the reality that we are all a part of God's perfectly, wonderfully made creation. All of us our whole authentic selves, including those parts that the world tells us are not good enough because God created and called it good. And we are a part of that creation as well. It's that possibility, that promise of wholeness That is what we celebrate today. It's what we celebrate in the sounds of the hosannas of the people then and the sounds of the hosannas in the people now. It's why we share these stories of Jesus. It's why we walk this Lenten path together. It's why we do it time after time. It's to remind us of our worthiness. It is to encourage us to proclaim loudly in speech and in action, that fear and tension will not overshadow God's promise of freedom and fullness. Amen. Amen. So this week, this week and the weeks to come, let us also proclaim our hosannas loudly. Let us share our Lenten journeys Let us share our stories of life-giving God moments. And even when there is tension, let us call out what needs to be changed and healed in our world, beloveds. That is our charge to keep. Let us not live in fear. Let us not act in fear. But instead, let us fully embrace the triumph that comes with living into our truth. Just as Jesus lived into his truth to encourage us to accept our truth. That we are all God's children. That God offers us a love and acceptance and a healing that the world simply cannot. 
Let us loudly proclaim this week and the weeks to come that we too are a people of extravagant love, ones who seek justice, who show unyielding compassion and walk together in the example of Christ to be bold in the face of that which scares us. And then let us share that liberation. Let us share that liberating message with all we meet, whether it's in our actions or our words. Do not be afraid, beloveds. Claim your identity in Christ. Walk proudly and announce, blessed are we. Blessed are you who come in the name of Jesus the Messiah. So let us enter into this time of Holy Week with a song of truth on our lips. Hosannas in our mouths. Celebration in our step. And let us explore what it means to truly walk the Jesus walk. To be a part of the stories of Jesus, even in the face of the things that scare us or make us uncomfortable or bring tension. For God is in it with us and we are called to live boldly in the world. May it be so for each and every one of us. And may we inspire others along the way to do the same. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are we who come in the name of the Lord. Amen.